who's ready for a word this morning? All right. You know, I loved listening to Pastor Rick, and you heard me say how he preached a message over 20 years ago where I was at when I went down and gave my life to Jesus Christ and got born again and have never been the same. And I continued to think on that this past week of how, how privileged and what a treasure that is. I'm sure there are not many pastors who could say that they were sitting in the front row of a church that God led them to plant, listening to their pastor preach a sermon, and he was the pastor that led them to the Lord. (laughs) It's pretty cool, isn't it? I'm just often reminded how good God is and how much the ripples of our impact move outward just in a very short amount of time. So go with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 13, if you have your Bibles with you. Numbers 13, and if you're familiar with your Bible, you already know where we're headed and what this story is about. This is the moment where the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They're kind of moving around in the soon-to-be-occupied promised land, and they encounter a really significant moment that results in an unfortunate outcome for them that delays them 40 years from entering into the promised land that God wanted to take them into right away. I want you to think about that as we go through the message today. Uh, Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to be jumping around in chapter 13 and 14 today. I always encourage you to go back and read the full substance of these stories and verses that we preach on in our sermons, right? Go in and read 13 and and 14 and and ponder it and meditate on it while it's fresh in you this week. But chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man Everyone a leader among them. Remember that. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now he goes through naming all of those 12 men, verses 4 through 16. We're going to bypass that for now. Jump down to verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And said to them, go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor. And whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage. Say again, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. And now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So it's pretty clear what's happening right in these moments as we're entering the story. God has instructed Moses to send spies into Canaan, the promised land, to inspect it, to check it out. And bring him back a report. 
Did you catch that? Moses is saying, go up there. You be the front runners. You be the tip of the spear. You go in, do recon, survey the land, and then I want you to come back and give me a report because me and then the rest of the people, we're waiting on our next move for what you bring back to us and what you have to say about the land that I'm sending you to check out. Church, what we're going to find today in this story is that we have a group of people who come back, but we don't get one unified report. We actually get two different reports. I'd like to talk to you today about the subject of overcoming a bad report. And maybe I could just ask you this question, have you ever had a bad report? Anybody, by show of hands. You're not raising your hand, you will, eventually. (laughs) Praise God for you making it this long. But bad reports, how do we overcome that? Because it's going to come, it's going to happen. We know that the devil himself the Bible says is that there's no truth in him. Anything that he tells is a lie, and it comes from within his own resources. He's the father of lies. So we're going to have to navigate this journey with God in our destiny and in taking ground. Again, as Pastor Rick talked about, in taking ground for the Lord, we're going to have to navigate this journey knowing how one of our Our weapons, our capabilities is going to have to be how to overcome a bad report. How do we do that? Let's jump down just a few more verses here to verse 23. And and let's at least figure out what they found. What did they find when they got there? And then we'll talk about the reports. Verse 23, they came to the valley of Eshkol. And there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. Hmm. They also carried, or they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us. It truly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit." This is its fruit. What they were showing them was a massive cluster of grapes. Now, I don't know if you've ever visited a a vineyard or you've seen grapevines growing. You know, if you get a nice thick cluster, the ones that I'm used to seeing, even when they're really lush and, and big, you know, you can pick one of those off. I've never thought, boy, I need, a, I need to get me about an eight-foot pole and two guys to carry this thing. <laughs> Little details of stories that we sometimes pass by, right? 
And so God's very intentional about pointing this out. They, they found fruit. They found fertility, gushing fertility in this area. These grapes were so big, they had to carry them back on a pole between two men to show the people, look at what we found. And they said it's also a land that truly is flowing with milk and honey. Now, we could backtrack into Exodus a little earlier in the events here chronologically. I'll just remind you that when God was instructing them to go into the promised land, that this is exactly how he described the land would look when they got there. Do you remember that? He said it will be a land flowing with milk and honey. And they come back and they say, yep, that's what it is. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Does this picture not line up with what God has already been saying and pointing to? (laughs) Right? He's already cued them in on what to look for, and, and now they're seeing it. So you would think that the obvious reaction would be, oh, there it is. This is exactly what we were promised. Let's go take it. You would think. But that's not what happens. We see a divergent path that takes place. We see one group of people that offer up one report, and another group of people out of the 12 that went, the leaders, right, of the tribes, we see another group that has a different report. So I just I want to talk to you about both of those today, but I want you to really think, and I want you to pray and, and just listen to the Lord, how he might equip you, how he might help you and strengthen you, because I'm telling you, church, overcoming bad reports is a part of the Christian walk. And we have the ability to do it. And I just think there's a whole lot here in this story today that God gives us that can be kind of a framework for us to overcome bad reports in our life too. So point number one, if you're taking notes, let's, let's talk about the bad report first. You ever have people say, well, I got good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? What do you usually say? Good news? I always say the good news too. And then shh, don't tell me about the bad news. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> We're going to talk about the bad news. From Pastor Mike's laughing because he's like, you're, I'm the realist. You're the optimist. It works for us. We played golf one time this year, and he hit this shot. And I was like, oh, that's a great shot, Mike. And he's like, it's a terrible shot. It was, it's horrible. And we got up there, and he started looking at it. He's like, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. You were out. It actually wasn't such a bad shot. See? Just listen to me. We see, we're going to talk about the bad report first, but this is what I want to do. I want to just demonstrate something for you, and that is that we, we could look at a picture, two people could look at the same thing, and would you agree that they could see something completely different, right? Put, put the first slide up here. What do you see when you look at that picture? If you've got to put your glasses on, it's okay. <laughs> what do you see when you look at that picture? How many people see an apple core? How many people see two faces? You're the geniuses. No, I'm just kidding. You're not. I don't know. <laughs> Next slide. How many people see four columns? How many people see three? If you look at the bottom, you might see the three. You look at the top, you see the four. All right, next one. How many people see two people? 
how many people see three columns? Yeah? This is fun, isn't it? Keep going. He's like, oh, this is great. Oh, this is exciting today. How many people see a young girl looking away? How many people see an old lady looking towards you? That means you're old in spirit. And no. <laughs> Last one. How many people see a duck? Okay. How many people see a rabbit? <laughs> that was good. That was fun. We can look at the same thing and see two different things, and, and that's exactly what happens here in this story. They come back after looking at the exact same picture and surveying the same land, and they're thinking about it completely different. Jump down to verse 28 in chapter 33. This is the first group, the group that brings the bad report. They just got done describing the cluster of grapes and the milk and honey, right? They say, oh yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey, baby. It's, it's lush, it's fertile, it's ripe. It looks just like what God described. Verse 28, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which are the Anakim, which are giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they're all in the mountains, and the Canaanites are by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people. For they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Everybody say bad report. Bad report of the land of which they had spied out. Saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak who came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were also in their sight. Wow. They bring a bad report. I just want to unpack that for a quick second. A bad report when you study that word. Um, It doesn't just mean bad news. Guys, it literally means slander or defamation. It means to literally slander one's character or a situation. Defamation, which is an attempt to be totally untruthful, corrupt, or misleading about the reality of a person and what they represent. And that's exactly what this is against God and against the promise that he's made to his people. It's slander. It's defamation. I want you to think about that that way. When a report tries to get served up to you that totally conflicts with promises that God has already made, let me say it another way, with promises Jesus already died to secure for you, When a report comes that conflicts with that, I want you to think about it 
as slander and defamation against your God and against the purposes that he died for you to have. I don't think we can look at this lightly. I think we need to take this very seriously. This is an attack on the purpose that God has for his people. It's an attempt to stop them from advancing forward. Do you get that? I think there's a difference in being a realist versus bringing a bad report. A report of defeat. Chapter 14, verse 1. All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. The people wept that night. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation. They said to them, if we had only died in Egypt, if we only had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword and our wives and children become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And so they said to one another, let us look for another leader and return to Egypt. You know, there's a big difference in reacting versus responding. Would you agree with that? Information travels at us. It's it's always coming at us, and let's face it, in the day and age we live in, it's coming at hyperspeed. Just turn on a device and you will get hit, I would argue, with more content in a shorter amount of time than you were really ever created to, to process and filter. But we're being flooded with information all the time. There is a difference in reacting versus responding. Reacting means that the information drives you. It's knee jerk. It dictates your course of action. You're a servant to the information in the report. But responding means you have the ability to process and discern the information that's coming at you. Does that make sense? There's a big difference. These people with the bad report, they're reacting to the information, and so now it drives the way they see, the way they look at it, and the way that they act about it. This other group of people, they respond, they discern, they, they process it. Mm, I hear what you're saying, but I got a different word for you. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to show you something. The Lord showed me this a few years back about the way a bad report or a lie from the enemy can get served up to us. And then if we can't respond, if we can't discern then that lie can actually become our reality. And so it's a cycle that just kind of continues to repeat itself. And here's the way the Lord broke the cycle down for me. I hope this helps you. It's helped me a lot. Is that the first part of this is uh, they hear the lie. Or we hear the lie. There's this moment where the report here. Would you like this? I want to give this to you. There's this moment where it's being offered. That's that first part of the cycle. We hear it. We see it. And we got to figure out what to do with it. The second part of the cycle that leads us down the wrong direction is that we begin to repeat the lie to ourselves. You feeling me? we, We do that, don't we? It's It's on replay. Looping. Over and over again up there. 
we begin to repeat. Yeah, it really is probably bad. He's probably right. Oh, gosh, those guys were huge. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do if I come up against one of those guys? I know it looks good, but oh, my gosh, what am I? Right? And we just repeat it to ourselves. Well, let me give you the third part of this cycle that when we get to this part, it essentially solidifies the thing. And it becomes a paradigm for us that we now begin to process new information through in the future. And that third part is begin to repeat it to other people. That's hmm. what they've done. They all saw the same thing in one group. They're processing it, saying it over and over again to themselves. And then they come back and they fight for the bad report and dig their heels in with the rest of their countrymen, the rest of their people. And then now they've repeated it. So here's what's happened. For this group of people, it's become a reality. It's become established for them. It's a framework now. It's a paradigm for them to process new information when it comes through. You know how an assembly line works? You just put raw material on, and it just moves right on down through a predefined sequence to get it to the end of the line. When paradigms that are, that are established on lies get set up in our mind and in our belief system, the new information coming at us, we don't even realize it many times, just gets processed right through that assembly line of lies. It becomes a framework for them to see that. And so it's solidified. The question to ask yourself, what paradigms might you have right now that are rooted in a lie? And I think many people get stuck in this way of thinking. It becomes a cycle for them. And then a lot of times people wonder why faith isn't working. I don't get it. Why would God bring us here? Why would he... It's not working, guys. These people are huge. The land is going to take us over. They think faith isn't working, but really what's happening is they're believing the lie instead of standing on the truth. It's not that faith isn't working. It's that your faith isn't working right now. You're believing the lie instead of fighting with the truth. And so for these people, their fear is greater than their faith. Kind of like this. And when fear is greater than faith, then we will operate in a place that is based upon lies. Fear is never a motivating factor, listen to me, for decisions or actions for the child of God. You know how many times I've talked to people um, who I might be leading or coming to me and they're like, well, I, you know, I think I need to handle it like this or I need to handle it like that. And I'm like, well, why do you feel that way? Well, I'm just kind of afraid that if I don't, I'm like, hold on, stop right there. Stop right there. You're motivated by fear. You can never make a godly decision if fear is the motivating factor for why you're doing it. I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm just saying your reason for not doing it isn't, isn't good. Fear can't be a, a motivator. right? God hasn't given us a spirit of fear power and love and a sound mind. So if fear is the driving factor. We, we can just, alarms go up. Nope, this is, I'm, I'm headed in the wrong direction here with this. This cannot be the driving factor here. You know what kind of blows me away in this whole thing is you got these 12 
And they, it says earlier, they're all leaders. <clears throat> and it hits me. Because it's like the, these are the 12 best. You know, there's 600,000 men. And most scholars say there's, that probably means about 2 million people if you add women and children that are coming out. These are the 12 best leaders of the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes represent all those 2 million people. The best of the best, guys. And out of all of them, 10, 10 of the 12 who are leaders of their tribes, they bring the bad report. I just want you to take that in for a second. How powerful the sway of the flesh can be and how important it is that we never rest on our laurels or get to a place where we just think, oh, I've got this whole overcoming bad reports part figured out. I think it's something we have to always continue to seek God for truth so that the truth is flooded in us, so that the truth is always flowing out of us. Because if we get lax, then 10 out of 12, that's 84%. 84% sway the wrong direction. Leaders of leaders. Point number two Let's talk about the good report. Jump over to Numbers 14, verse 5. Moses and Aaron, this after they heard the bad news, they fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation and of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Yapuna, so Joshua and Caleb, they were among those who had spied out the land they tore their clothes. They spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I like that report a lot better, don't you? You think maybe the rest of the people are like, okay, guys, you've got some sense. Of, that makes sense, guys. I'm, thanks, for, thanks for talking us out of our mess. You, you're right, guys. You think that's how, what you're going to read here when we go to verse 10? And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Wow. So for Joshua and Caleb, their faith is greater than their fear. You put that back up there. They're, they're operating from faith, right? Instead of fear being greater than faith. It's really the difference in these two. Joshua and Caleb are like, guys, this is exactly what the Lord already said. It's interesting because they're, they're, when the negative report is being given, they're saying there's all these people in the land. There's these Hittites, there's these Jebusites, there's these Canaanites, there's these Perizzites, there's these termites, there's these ites. Like, reread that. God was even very specific in the instruction about the people who would be in the land. 
So think about that. When they're saying the Hittites are there, God said the Hittites would be there. The Canaanites are there. God said the Canaanites would be there. The Jebusites are there. God said the Jebusites would be there. And he said that we would take that land, that we would be well able to overcome. They're literally saying exactly what God has said, only they're seeing it completely different. Do you get that? Now think about a bad report that comes to you and the way you see it, the way you talk about it to yourself, and the way you talk about it to other people. What are you solidifying to become the course of action for the way you will go about handling that report? Do you remember verse 30, what Caleb did back in chapter 13? You're like, no, I don't remember verse 30. We just read 85 verses. I don't, verse 30, put it back up there, chapter 13. It says, Caleb quieted the people. This was while they were giving the bad report. He quieted the people before Moses and spoke up. He said, no, 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 we are well able. Now, I want to show you something right here that is so profound when overcoming bad reports. You know that cycle Hear the lie, repeat it to yourself, repeat it to others. This is what Caleb shows us. He shows us how to break the cycle. What does he do? He says he quieted the people. That's another word for interrupted or interjected. You know, in our house, we have eight people, right? Katie and I and six kids. And so um, it's just a little noisy sometimes. And so when people are talking, this is one of the things we've had to work on a lot in our home, in, in our dynamic, is we've had to really help everyone understand, guys, we, we can't just interrupt each other. Everybody wants to talk, and so when they, and, and you're just like, I, I, I'm, I'm listening to five, you know, I'm a guy, I can only do one thing at a time. So <laughs> Katie, she's got an ability to filter all that. It's not fair for me. I'm like, no, one, get in line, okay, get in line. Are you? All right, what are you? So when, when it's interrupting, it just, it, it like breaks the whole chain of thought. It, it disrupts the sequence. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see where I'm going with this? That's what Caleb does to the lie. That's what Caleb does to the report. He comes in and he interrupts it. He breaks it right whenever it's trying to progress through the sequence. And there might be some who are solidifying it, but for Caleb and Joshua, they're breaking the cycle. This will not be their reality. Hmm. So when a lie is being served up to you or I or our home or our family or whatever from the father of lies or a bad report, a report of defeat, that the enemy wants you to sign your name on and, and authorize it in your life. When that's happening, we need to learn from Caleb. We need to interrupt that thing. We need to break that cycle right in the middle of when it tries to get started. And how do we do that? We break that with truth. Mm. We break it with truth. They pull out the other report, and they begin to describe the exact same thing in a totally different way. Yeah, there's giants, but there are bread. <laughs> you see it? Same picture, different description. Same picture, 
right? Those slides, two different things that we see. Caleb interrupts it and he breaks it. And because of that, it never becomes reality for him or for Joshua. Their faith is standing on. Listen, it's not just some erroneous, random idea. Well, I really like to think something different. They're not just pulling it out of the air, guys. They're, they're basing it on what God has already said. You get that? He already spoke. When he spoke, it became truth, and it'll never cease to be truth. The difference is if it will be truth for you or if you'll believe the lie. Mm. You know, this is why I am so passionate right now in talking about how significant it is for us as believers to have and develop and form a biblical worldview. You've been hearing me talk about that all year long, right? A biblical worldview. It means we see the world and everything in it that happens through the lens of Scripture, through the filter of the only truth and ultimate truth that there is. And when we do, we can bring down arguments, bring down lies, and we can authorize reports of truth, and then God backs that very report that we just declare over our situation. If it's not truth, then you're just, you're just throwing your hands in the wind. But if it's truth, you're swinging the sword of the Spirit of God, which is His Word. Hmm. I thought that was better than your reaction right there. I don't Pick up a little Pastor Rick right there. Right? Well, that's better than your reaction right there. But you know what blows me away is um, the people's response Kill them. Stone them. I want you to think about this. The people who have bought the lie want to kill the truth tellers. (laughs) I just want to tell you this, church. You have to be prepared. That when you stand for truth, there might be a recoil in the environment around you. But they're standing for it. Because they know God is backing them. Hmm. Jesus said it this way. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Wow. Do you want to live free? I do. I really want you to. It's so important to me that, that helping people do that is where I've landed on dedicating the rest of my life to. You want to live free, this is the only way to do it. The truth will set you free, and you'll live free every moment you live by this word right here. Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, after all this has went down, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? It's like God saying, what more do I need to do? You know, the Pharisees, they said things like, Jesus, do a miracle. Prove it to us. He's like, 
there have been so many miracles before you and, and people still don't believe. Like, that's, that's not the answer, right? God's like, I, I, I have done so much. I parted the sea. I crushed the Egyptians. Pillar of cloud and pillar of, of fire. Like, wake-up call. Like, does that not let you know that I'm here, that I'm with you? He's just like, how much more do I need to do? I just think this should impress upon us the, the, the fight that we will have ahead of us when facing a bad report. The water just got parted right behind us. The pillar of cloud or fire, depending on if it's day or night, is right over here alongside of us, and we're still struggling with a bad report. You've got to fight in the moment. Your faith has to show up every day. Let's say it like that. The church in, of Philadelphia in, in Revelation, when the letters are talking about it, and Jesus is speaking, you know, the, John's getting the revelation. It says the church in Philadelphia, the word to them was, you may be small, but you've kept my word and you haven't denied my name. I just think of that like maybe, maybe it was a small church. Maybe it wasn't big in numbers or maybe they were in, still in infancy and not really matured yet. And God's like, you, you may be small, but the fact that you keep my word and don't deny my name, that's significant. And sometimes we might underestimate how willing God is when our heart is to just seek his word, to know truth, and to live by truth. God just wants to come in and assist that effort right there in that pursuit. Don't underestimate that. They might have been a small church, but God says, yeah, but you've kept my word. There's nothing small about that. There's nothing small about that in your life. And mine either. When we stand on the word of God, heaven is taking notice every single moment that we live by truth and authorize God's report. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Point number three, last point is, let's talk about the outcomes. Don't you want to know what happens? What happens? What happens to Caleb and Joshua? What happens to the ten? What happens to all this? I'll just just tell you. I'm not going to read through all these. Let's talk about the rebels first. Because that's what the Bible calls them. They rebelled against God. First thing that they do is they're all sad and upset about all this. And God says, uh, you're going to die in the wilderness. This happens. Okay, He says, every single one of you who are 20 years of age and older, your carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness. You are never going to see the promised land. And he says, this is going to happen for 40 years. And he says 40 years because he said it's going to be one year for every day that you spied out the land and that you brought that bad report back from. So they were gone 40 days. And he says, you're going to tarry in the wilderness now 40 years. And every one of this generation that's 20 and over, carcasses will fall in the wilderness. Your children will go into the promised land. But the rest of you will fall there. Except for Caleb and Joshua. So, so the rebels fall. And even more so, listen to this. I don't know if you might have caught this or passed by this before. But the ten who brought the bad report, those ten died by plague. Wow. 
So they get this news, and they decide, okay, well, we're just gonna, now we're just going to go up into the mountains because we're so sorrowful, we're so sad. I would just say this is probably like worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow, that they decided we're going to go up and try to attack these people. Um, and God says, don't go because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not with you. That's what he says. He says, the Lord is not with you. So they tried, and they were attacked, and they were beat. Because they were, they were operating out of doubt and fear. And God wasn't in that. You get the message, you get the point, right? So that happens for them. You know, a lot of people misassess uh, why the 40 years. A lot of people just think it's because of the golden calf. It wasn't because of the golden calf. Now, idol worship is obviously condemned. But the sentence of the 40 years in the desert that was never supposed to be 40 years was because of this story right here. It was because of the bad report. So don't think authorizing a bad report doesn't carry ripple effects in your future. The good news is, is it can be torn down and dismantled, something new established. It might be that there's people here today that that's what needs to happen before you leave. And I believe that that can but what about Joshua and Caleb? I, I, I love these guys. And I think, man, that must have been tough. Because they stood strong. But here's the reality. They still had to spend 40 years in the desert. <laughs> There's this whole thing I could talk about, about guarding your heart against bitterness for 40 years, right? Whew. Man, every time you looked at those guys, you had to be like, <laughs> milk and honey, <laughs> But Joshua and Caleb, you know, the circumstances still affected them. They stood in truth, but because of everything that was happening around them that was based on lies, they they were still affected by that. How do you live in an ocean of disappointment and still develop? Because after 40 years of tarrying, Joshua and Caleb come out stronger than ever before. Think about that. Joshua ends up being the new leader of Israel, the new general of Israel after Moses dies. Arguably, personal opinion, Joshua was the greatest military general ever to live. His conquests are epic took his people through more battles and more victories. It's just astounding what God used him to do. But God said to him, Joshua, every place that your feet tread, you possess. And just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Here's what he said. There will be no man who can stand against you for all the days of your life. So I just want you to think about the gap in the 40 years. How do you develop in an ocean of disappointment when things are bad, circumstances are bad, and you look around and you're still standing on truth, but bad things are still happening because a lot of other people aren't. I just have good news for you. There's an opportunity that God still reserves for us to grow and develop, and His promises will not be canceled or denied for Joshua and Caleb, even though there's a little bit of a hiatus along the way. (laughs) And let's talk about Caleb. 
It says that there was a different spirit in them. I love that. There was a different spirit in those two men. I, I am going to read you this about Caleb. Go to, chap, go to Joshua uh, 14, yeah, verse 7. This is when, Mo, or when, when uh, Joshua, the conquests are complete and they're, they're dispensing the inheritances to the tribes in the promised land. And Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out that land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. <laughs> Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me, they made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, and he has said, These 45 years... Ever since the Lord spoke, uh, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, eighty-five years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so it is now for my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord has said. So you see how this thing comes full circle now. Caleb's like I've, I've, I've been here in the wilderness. Developing, standing on truth. Continuing to live according to God's word and promise. And I'm 85 years old. And I'm asking you now. Give me hills and give me giants. Because I'm as strong this day as I was on that day. What could possibly do that to a man, church? It's because truth has been resonating in this man for 40 plus years. And he is ready to go out and fulfill what God had already started in his heart. Oh, we need the best leaders of our day taking the hardest assignments. He says, give me hills and give me giants because I'm not afraid of the mountains and I'm not afraid of those big people because the God I serve is bigger than it all and I've been living by a report that he gave me all these years and I'll be living by this report for the rest of my day. Oh, what an amazing picture of how to overcome a bad report. And so I close by asking you this question. Ask yourself today. What are the things that you're saying to yourself right now about the landscape that you find yourself in? What are you saying to the people around you? But let me also ask you this. In the possible mess of all of that, where are the cluster of grapes in your story? Because I promise you, God is there. 
can you look at the mess of the situation and discern and begin to see the bright lights and spots where God is absolutely in with you? And can you see the places he's already been with you? Because if you can do that, then you can overcome a bad report.